So thankful that you're here today. Today I want to start with a story, an image. You know, recently we've been trying to teach in 2017 from babies to junior high and to the, the uh, adult services images because images can last. They can grab a hold of and you can put with inside of you and you can use it throughout your life. And so that's what our hope is that some of these images will stick within your heart and soul and mind and you will see something powerful trans, uh, transpire because of that. So I want to tell a story and I, I want to get it started, and this image is something that we're going to use throughout the day. So in this very large city, there was a school system that was pretty amazing. And the school system had a couple of teachers that would go into the hospitals and visit sick kids so that they can catch them up with homework. So those that had appendix and surgeries, they would go in and do this. And it was a pretty amazing thing. So this kids' hospital program was something that this city really thrived upon. So the story goes like this. One of the hospital teachers came to a school one day and went to a classroom and says, I'm going to go meet your student today. What would you like to be taught? And the teacher says, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Can you go into the student and teach him about nouns and adverbs so that they don't get behind? Because these are critical in their, in their class. And so the teacher says, great, I'll do that. And they exchanged some things and some homework. And they went on in the day. Later in the afternoon, that teacher took that information to a student. And as she walked into the hospital to do this hospital teaching program, she went into the room and she was blown away. She came into this child's room and she didn't know what she was seeing. She didn't know what was wrong with the kid. And as she walked in, she saw a young boy with 75% of his body burned, second and third degrees, to the crisp. And as soon as she saw him, her mouth was wide open, and she's like, oh, my gosh. And she was shocked. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to act. And she's supposed to teach this kid about nouns and adverbs. She walks up to the children, and she's kind of shaking says, I'm here, I'm your teacher today, and I went and met your teacher, and, and they said, here's what we're going to talk today, and she's kind of thinking this is ridiculous. She gets before the student, and they talk, and they talk about nouns and adverbs, and about 20 or 30 minutes, she gave him some homework and walked away, and as she's walking out, she's almost weeping. It's like, what good is that? This kid needs more than nouns and adverbs. He looks like he's ready to die. Later that next day, she receives a phone call from the nurse in the hospital. And she says, what did you do? And she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend him. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what was wrong with the kid. I didn't mean to offend them. And the nurse says, no. Whatever you did yesterday totally transformed that child. And she goes, all I did was talk about nouns and adverbs. And I said, she goes, I don't know what you said, but now that child was destined to die has now have hope to live. It's responding, to, the kid is responding to treatment and he feels like he's going to make it. A couple weeks later, they talked to the kid and they said, what happened? And he basically said, I was destined to die. I didn't know what my life was going to be. I'm a young kid and, and, and I just felt like I was on my own and I was going to die. And the kid said this, but who on earth would send a teacher 
to teach a kid nouns and adverbs if he was going to die. So he lived. That's the kind of hope we need to have as a society. That's the kind of hope we need to have in this country. That's the kind of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The image of death is the biggest nightmare that we see in this world. If we think about death and someone in our life that has died or someone that's going through the process of dying, it's miserable. One of my dad's best friends when I was a young kid died and he went from 220 to about 112 to 50 pounds, whatever it was. He just whittled away in eight months. It was miserable. You're hopeless and there's nothing you can do. The image of death and dying is the worst thing society has. But the image of death in Jesus Christ and being spared, saved, or healed from death is the greatest hope of all time. Because death is no longer a sting and there's tremendous victory. Christians come in week in and week out and we celebrate death. Death to self and hope into a new life. Being saved, spared, or healed through Jesus as the greatest hope that man could ever see. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says this, Now in this hope we are saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what is not seen, we eagerly wait for this patiently. This kid came in and got a little bit of hope because of noun and adverb teacher. A lady walking in. She didn't, see, he, she didn't see it and neither did he, but he realized it because he had a revelation, an epiphany, and it saved his life. Claire Booth Luce says this, there is no hopeless situations. There are only men or women who have grown hopeless about them. There are no hopeless situations. It's how you respond to them. That's where the hopelessness comes in. You need to look at your situation, especially if you call yourself a Christian and put the hope of God within it and let that push you through and come to the concept that this is just a, a small blip on the greater scale that God has for us. Even in the image of death. Today, we're going to talk about a story in Acts where there's multiple deaths. And in there, we're going to find great hope in a kind of a tragic story. Here's some of the images that we want to teach. I want you to kind of wrap your head around that death and think about that young kid that's just got scars and wounds all over him and how he was near death. And get that image in because we're going to use that to help the message work today. A couple of things that we've been really working on as a church, we're going through this series called Together. The church needs to do things together. You are not to be on your own in a cave with your Bible, hoping and praying for God to do a work inside of you. We need to come together. That's how he utilizes church. When we come together, we, come, we become this strong team. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it says, three bound in a cord is stronger and it's hard to break. The more that we come together, the harder that we are to break and fall victim to things of this world. So here's some of the images that we're trying to teach as we're going through this series together. And I'm sure there will, things, there will be things that will last far longer than this series together. 
We are trying to teach you about images. This is a team salvation. First service and second service, we're asking you guys to pray regularly for the salvation of this community, this county, this country, and this world. We're praying for salvation. This team is called Team Revelation. We're asking for you to pray that God will reveal himself to people in your life, in your church, in your home, in your school, in your workplace. Pray for God to reveal himself and, and allow that to change people's lives. And that brings us to Team Transformation. The place that God wants to put it all together and transform you if you're willing to do the work. Salvation, team salvation says that Peter uh, is writing and saying, he's like, in Jesus Christ alone is the salvation of the universe. In Jesus, he is the salvation of the universe. And I want to give you an image to help you understand that. When you receive Jesus and you say a prayer or you check the box on a prayer card or you even come up to an altar call here at Billy Graham or another church, that salvation is not dead at that moment. It's not something that you store away and you get your Willy Wonka ticket. It's alive. It's like a seed of faith. The Bible says the faith of a mustard seed is the smallest seed but would you put a little water, we got a little water right there. If we can put a little water in there or a little seed, we'll start seeing something grow. We got a picture of a seed, of a mustard seed. It's really small. If you put it on the seat, you couldn't even find it. But with a little bit of water and a little bit of love, that seed of salvation starts to grow into this tree. And it's this mustard plant that actually can bring um, coverage. This is coverage. This is a mustard plant in the Middle East. And if you look in there, you could actually get out of the elements and find salvation underneath there from whatever's going on. The Bible tells us that's what would happen. This is an image of what that would look like. The image of salvation and team salvation, get your little seed growing and pray for that little seed to go into something that's greater and more amazing than anything that you can imagine. That's what team salvation is about. Team revelation was something that is really important to me. The Apostle Paul's writing in Galatians, he's like, look, it, I'm not giving you something from myself. Something from myself I lost long ago before I was transformed. I'm giving you something that's a direct image of God. Several years ago when I was locked up, I was reading and I didn't understand what the Bible was talking about. So I read Matthew over and over. And the first or second verse that stuck out to me was that I needed to uh, build my house upon a rock. That was a revelation that I had from God. And I'm like, okay, what does that look like and what does that mean? And, and here's the image. I found the greatest house on a rock picture on the internet that you could find. And that really should be an image of what we should be hoping for. When we build our house upon a rock, the storms, how many storms have hit this house? And hit that rock. If you build and connect to a rock, you can actually find out that no matter what you go through, you're going to be okay. This was my first revelation I'm looking about building my new life on the rock of Jesus Christ. The last one is team uh, transformation. Transforming something out of nothing or something that's been rolled and dinged up and broken down. We need to be transformed. Not by this world. The world is going to take you and my experience, it spit me up. Chewed me, yanked me, destroyed everything that I thought was important and spit me out. But in Christ, he continues to mold and shape me, and he renews my mind. We need to come together. The Apostle Paul has this great transforming moment, moment as he's walking from Damascus. He's walking to Damascus to be a killer of Christians. 
He's walking saying, I'm going to take out the Christian work. And all of a sudden, he has a revelation and it transforms him. He's blind and in three days, he gets back up and sees the world differently. He goes from a killer to a follower of the way. That's what transformation looks like. That's the image that we need to see. Seeing something or hearing something from God because you put a little bit of faith, you start the transformation process. All of that could happen. In a, in a service like today, and in a church-like journey, and in a place where your heart is right with God. Our memory verse tells us not to neglect hanging out together and being together because it's a critical thing for us as Christians. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect our meeting as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of the Lord is drawing near. We are getting closer to the day. Even if it's in 100,000 years from now, we're closer And we should not neglect hanging out and building each other up and being strong. Jesus loves this place. Not just journey, but he loves the church. If you say you're a follower and you love Jesus, you need to start loving the things that he loves. And he loves the church. It's his bride. If you're not loving your bride very well and you're showing up once a month, she's probably not very happy with you or he as a spouse. I know that my relationship, my wife and my kids, they require um, me to be available as, as much as I can and for me to do the work to show them their love. And that's what Jesus wants. The Bible says that in the midst of two or three, in the midst of two or three hundred, that I am present. Why wouldn't you want to be a place where Jesus is? He's here and he's at churches all across this country and this world. We need to not make sure that we do not neglect that. God wants to do something in us. Today we're going to talk about hope, hoping together. How do we hope together? We come together and we hear messages and we get inspired by what God wants to do. Today's text, the actual words that we're going to read, don't really necessarily say hope in the verse at all. It doesn't say it at all. What we need to do is mine through it and dig through it and find out one truth. And really, today as we read Acts chapter 12, verse 5 is really the whole message. Verse 5, and it's about seven or eight words, and you're going to see that it's a powerful place, what happens. So today we're going to read from um, Acts chapter 12. It provides a strong image of hope if we look at it and look at between the lines of what Christ is trying to say and, 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 and what Luke is trying to write to the church. And the real big idea here, if there was one big idea, here's the big idea, and I want you to see this because it comes back at the end, that God knows your troubles. If you have a trouble, you have a pain, you're in a dire situation, whatever it is, depression, addiction, financial issues, whatever you're struggling with, he knows. That's number one. The second thing says that he also hears your prayers. He knows and he hears your prayers. It doesn't say that I'm going to pluck you out of your situation and give you the lottery ticket that's winning and put you into Disneyland right in the princess castle. It'd be nice. I've never been there. But honestly, I don't really like all the headaches, so it wouldn't be nice for me. That's not what he said. He says, I hear your problems, and I hear your prayers, and I know what's going on. Let me work through that. So if you're able to stand, we're going to read from Acts chapter 12. We're going to use the first five verses, and then we're going to pray through this that God will speak to us directly. 
About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some of the believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out of the public trial after the Passover. Now we're going to get to verse 5, and I want you to realize what's happening. Peter has now walked upon death row. He's now in supermax, and he's locked down as tight as any prisoner in all of the Jerusalem area. He's in supermax. They've lost one of the apostles. They're dead. James. And here's what happens. Verse 5 says, but while Peter was in prison, everybody read this. The church prayed very earnestly before him. For him. That's what the church does. We don't cower, we don't run, we don't put on sackcloth, we don't put dust on our head and walk around and cry. We come together, not neglecting each other, and pray earnestly. We commit together, we wait patiently together, and we hope together in prayer, watching God work. And there's a lot of people struggling in this church and all other churches, but we stand up and walk with them. Because there's going to be a day that you're going to need someone to walk with you. So the church comes together and prays earnestly. Let's pray that God will speak to us even deeper today about this message. Father in heaven, as this team has been praying for revelation and this team's praying for transformation and we want more salvation and let it grow, Lord, speak to us personally today. As the rain comes in and nourishes the ground, Lord, let your Holy Spirit soak in us the word of God, so that we can understand and be moved by you and be transformed by a word that comes directly from you into our heart. Connect us today with your love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. While Peter is in supermax on death row, the church comes together and prays. What better hope than we can have in life? When I was in trouble, my mom went to her new group in Crossroads and the church came together and prayed. What better hope can a man have? You've got an issue in your family. You've got an issue in your life. Put it on the prayer card. What better hope than the church praying? There's a guy in first service saying, hey, we started this the first week of a prayer group at our house. And he's like, we were super excited until there was 100 prayer requests. Then it took two hours. By the end, it was awesome was powerful it changed him he's like i'm part of something was important we need to come together and be hopeful even in the midst of the image and the thoughts of death and dying we need to come together because death is not our issue So here's what's going on. What, how do we, you know, Jeremy's singing this song. You are good, good. I better not sing because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> He's good. I'm not. Oh, you're good. Where does good come from? Even Jesus says, I'm not good. The Father's good. He points away from him. What is good? We have to look at good and evil. You know, in this world, we have parents. Some really good. Some marginal. You know who you are. 
I'm not looking at you, babe. You're good. So, and then we have some parents that are non-existent. They just put the basics on the table. And in that, we start to see what is good. A parent's job, that's hot. Don't touch it. Hey, don't drink that. It'll hurt you and harm you. Don't do that. Don't drive too fast. Don't wear stuff like that. Don't ingest stuff. Don't do all that stuff. That's what parents do. The marginal parents go, oh, I did that. It's not that big a deal. It didn't hurt me. Really? And then there's some parents that just say, I'm just going to make sure there's a shelter and a little bit of food. But here's the problem. We see a king here that's got a lifelong history, four generations of bad parenting. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, and we talk about little baby Jesus coming to Bethlehem. But Herod the Great, the grandfather of the king Herod Agrippa, he made a decree after that to kill all the two-year-olds and less in Bethlehem. What kind of parent would do that? I can even see killing all the men and taking the women and children. I can see that. That makes sense. That's a pretty standard code of pirating. But killing the two-year-olds? That's the, that's, the, that's the grandfather. That's the legacy. His son, Antipas, actually murders John the Baptist, marries his brother's wife, and then puts Jesus on trial. That's the kind of parenting that he got. Well, dad killed all of them. I didn't do nearly that. I only killed John the Baptist and put the Messiah on trial. Not a big deal. Then there's Agrippa and there's Agrippa II. Uh, uh, Herod Agrippa II puts Paul on trial and is one of the judges. Our king here is a bad king and he's trying to make a hopeful statement to the Jewish people. And what he sees is, by me killing James, it stirs up the crowd in a positive way. Let me bring hope to the Jewish society by killing James, the son of Zebedee. So as James is killed, all the Jewish people are coming into Passover, and they're fired up and excited. And he says, let me get one of their big leaders, someone even better than James. And they get Peter. And let's arrest him and put him in, in death row. And after Passover, we're going to kill him. That's going to squash this church, this little sect called the Way, that's a Jewish kind of branch off that everybody's on fire for, and it's killing the synagogue and the religious of the, of the Jewish people. The temple is struggling because of the Way. So Agrippa says, I want to make the Jewish people happy, and I'm going to take the big cheese, and I'm going to kill him. And we're going to squash this because now the Jewish will look at me as a legend. And I will bring hope to all Jewish people everywhere because they're here on Passover and they're going to watch me convict this amazing man. Now, I don't know if you know James and John. They're the sons of thunder, right? They were the ones that said, hey, Jesus, when you get up there, make sure that we're at your right hand. And Jesus says, I don't know if you want that because you're going to have to drink the cup of suffering. And be baptized in the suffering like I am if you want to be next to me. You know what? They did drink. James is dead. He just got beheaded. And John is the one that probably went to Patmos in exile and wrote the book of Revelation. Peter is also one of those guys that's sitting there and he's telling the church and he's telling all the people, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you, bro. 
We're going to go deep and we're going to ride deep and never going to leave you. And then he chickens out and cowers out and he runs and denies. And we all know the story. But Jesus still loves him and brings him back in. But now Peter knows and so does his church and the church that he's probably going to die. But the church prayed earnestly for him. In the midst of one of their apostles dying, they didn't cower up. They stood up. They got together and they prayed and waited for the hope of Jesus to show. Because Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you and that I'm good. And the goodness of God is going to reign over any evil thing that happens. Let's continue to read. Verse 6 says this. That night before Peter was placed on trial, he he was asleep, fastened to two chains between two soldiers. One stood... One stood, others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to waken him him and say, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist and the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell. He followed the angel. But the... But all the time, he thought, it's just a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happened. They passed the first and the second guard post, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. For they passed through, and they started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. So as Peter's on death row, the church comes together. They're praying for this hopeful thing. Peter then has an encounter. An angelic encounter and it frees him so that he can come back and tell the church. Now listen, what does Peter do after this? Well, here's what Peter did. First of all, how he got to this place is he obeyed. When God's telling you to do something, if you don't obey, how do you expect to be in that place of transformation? The first thing Peter did was obey and it's like, it's kind of weird. I don't even know if I'm awake Sometimes in life when God starts speaking, you're like, is this real? Does he really want me to talk about nouns and adverbs to a dead kid? And he says, yes, because I will bring life to that kid. It looks weird. doesn't feel like it's real. But when he speaks and you obey and you wake up one day and you're like, how did I get here? Praise Jesus. Peter obeys. Now if it's me... And I'm a leader of a church, and I just got off a supermax death row. I'm probably not going to go back to the same place I got arrested. Kind of smart like that. I went to Chico. I know how to get around the system. (laughs) I'm probably going to run into the high ground and find a cave and hide out and then send a messenger someday and say, hey, come, I'm, I'm out. But what does Peter do? He goes right back to the church and where they're worshiping. He goes to John Mark's house, the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark. And John Mark's house is actually his mother's house, Mary, another Mary in the Bible. And it's got this sweet upstairs pad. On top of the house, it's humongous where they're doing a lot of church services. It's actually the place where they might have been the upper room where Jesus did the Last Supper. It's pretty well known that he probably went there knowing, I know that people from the church are going to be there because there's persecution in the church and instead of running away 
and is taking care of himself, he goes back to give testimony to the church because the church needs to be strengthened and realize your prayers have been answered. I've been set free. My chains are gone. I see a new life. I've obeyed Christ and now look at me. God has a plan and it's far greater than my plan. Peter knocks on the door. A young girl, Rhoda, answers. She's so excited. Hey, Peter. She slams the door and runs back into the party. And it's not really a celebration party. It's a party of people gathering together in the name of Jesus. She says, Peter's outside. There's no way he's in Supermax. We're never going to see him again. And she finally cons him to get out there. Peter's still knocking. Hello. Peter shows up. And they start having this huge ruckus like praising God. And he's like, quiet down. And he tells them the story. And then he says, go tell James, Jesus' brother, and the others, and let the church know that God is real. Put your hope in that because he can save us even when all things are wrong. He is the hope of the world. And if he wants to do something, he will do something. Now listen to the story, though. One of the apostles is dead. So not both get saved. God uses things differently. One died so the church can be hopeful in the other. And Peter moves and creates a bounty of Christians because of this faithful experience. At some point in Peter's life, he writes a book. And it's a general epistle. It's very close to the end of the Bible. And he writes this book. It's 1 Peter. And in chapter 3, he's talking about how wives and husbands should act. And so if you're struggling in relationships, go to the beginning of 1 Peter 3. It's only seven or eight verses. And then he talks about how all Christians should be. He starts talking about we should all be together, sympathizing with each other, not repaying evil for evil. And that triggers his memory about Acts and what happened to him at Acts. So he's writing this story and giving us a piece of hope. Listen to the hope. He, he's quoting Psalms 34 in this place. He says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, translation, if you want to have a hopeful life and a blessed life and all that you do, if you want that, here's the equation. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good, opposite of what Auntie uh, Agrippa did, Right? And then it says, search for peace and work to maintain it. And then all of a sudden, Peter comes back to a place in verse 12 that reminds him exactly what happened on that day in the prison. Verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to those who have prayer. The big idea of today's message is this. God knows your struggles. God is shouting to most of us, but he knows your struggles. He hears your prayers. And for some of you, he's sitting back going, I'm waiting for you. You're not waiting for me. You're the one blocking my love from coming in. You're the one holding back on the transformation. You're the one. I'm just waiting for you. But he hears your prayers and he knows your struggles. And we need to get out of the way and watch him work. So here's the question. It's 12.03. I'm hungry. Anybody hungry? Yeah, a couple of you. Most of you guys are fibbing. <laughs> God starts to minister right now. How do you become hopeful? 
I've been depressed for years, Jeff. How do we become hopeful? I'm struggling with a health issue that never goes away. How do I become hopeful in that? I've got an addiction that's radically transforming me into a person I don't even want to be anymore. My financial bank account is in the negatives, and this is the sixth month going. How can I deal with this, Jeff? How do you become hopeful in this situation? Well, the Bible says, get together with your church and pray. Get together and pray. Put it on the prayer card. Come up for prayer after service. Let Brother Lowell and John and Kim preach into your life and pray that God is bigger than your situation. Because if you don't, you're basically saying, you're important, but not that important. And then you're basically saying, the cross is not enough for me. It's just a portion of my salvation. It's not everything to me. Here's what I found out. We grow stronger in hope by his love. And I found about 20 adjectives that help us. We grow stronger in hope by his magnificent love, his wonderful love, his marvelous, spectacular, remarkable love. We press into that love and it grows our hope. We grow into hope by his phenomenal, breathtaking, extraordinary love. None of you deserve it. None of us deserve it. But we receive it because it's breathtaking. It's phenomenal. We grow stronger in hope by this unbelievable, amazing, stunning, astounding, astonishing love that none of us have done anything to do to deserve that. We're all evil sinners. But he says, I want you to be saints and adopted into my plan and be part of the God's most highest program. And that program is to go out into this world and take this love, this staggering, impressing, supreme, great, awesome, superhuman love and let that love bring great hope and confidence in your life so that the people around you going, I don't know why this is going on, but Fernie, what you've done the last 30 days is radically changing people around you. You get connected into his love. The center of what God wants to do. And everything changes. The image of death is our biggest fear. But as Christians, it's the thing we sing to and dance on. The cross is not my issue. It's what he did and how he raised up that brings hope. The Bible says that death is just a shadow. It's a sting. It's nothing. He's defeated it. Our problem is not death. But our image in our mind and our heart is death is devastating. Our problem as Christians is life and how to live through life. That's our problem. Our worst days are down here. We've got glory ahead of us. This is the worst it's ever going to get. And if you don't have Jesus, this is the best. This is the best day that you're ever going to have or one of the best days or it's going to be a day because you're hearing about the glory of God. Death is not our struggle, Christians. Living life and putting the hope of God in the midst of all of your struggles and chaos and confusion and watching his hope transform you into something completely different. Watching someone watch a poor kid die and come in and talk about proverbs or nouns and adverbs. To bring life into a little child? 
A little bit of hope goes an awful long way. If you don't have hope today, come together. Pray for it up here today. And watch God minister and do work. G.K. Chesterton says this, To love means to love the unlovable. My parents are here to declare I was unlovable. I was a pain in the butt. But they loved me until I learned to be lovable to myself. To forgive means to pardon the unpardonable. People have had things happen to them in this church that should never happen to them. But he says, I pardon that person even if they don't deserve it because it makes me more hopeful and caring and understanding. Forgiveness, unforgiveness is a disease that will cripple you. Forgiveness is the power and glory of Jesus Christ and it allows you to press into the hope. Faith means believing in the unbelievable. If you're here today and you're looking at a situation and I know there's about six or eight that are on fire in the church right now that seem like there's no change, but if you believe in the unbelievable, Jesus says, I can do all things. Finally, it says, hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. A little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. Looking at the cross, singing a song about we love you, Jesus, that hope will, ta will take you farther and wider and deeper than anything ever in your life. At the end of the story in verse 18, it says this, at the dawn there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened. They're like, where did he go? This is supermax. Nobody escapes. Where did he go? The commotion stirs. Herod comes in and orders them to do a thorough search. He can't be found. He interrogates and then he kills again. At least 16. At least 16 people die. Probably 30. Probably the whole cell in that area. They can't find him. Herod's trying to bring hope through death. And Jesus did accomplish that. He brings hope in what he did and how he died. And he's taking dead lives in this place and breathing into those dry and dead bones and standing up and saying, I love you. If you love me back, you will have greater hope. The question is this. How can you hope in a God that you don't know? There was a moment where Paul didn't know this God. He said, I know God. I've trained and I've been through all these these trainings, but Jesus came to him and he says, I don't even know you. Who are you, God? How can you put hope in a God that you don't know? Some of us have let our minds and our values be formed by this world. But coming together, it says, I am to be renewed by the Spirit of God and transformed by listening to the Word of God and the people of God and letting those prayers be earnestly uh, received in my life. You got to get to know him to put your hope in him. And that can happen right now if you're able. Let's pray. Father, we've been singing songs of hope. We've heard about death and a church coming together to bring hope. And now we come together praying for salvation, praying for revelation, and praying for transformation.
God loves souls and he loves people's hearts. If you're here today and you want a new life, if you want salvation, we have been interceding for you all week. Today is the day that you can accept that and watch your faith grow and your salvation change. Listen to the revelation of God and begin that transformation process. If that's you, pray just like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior and my hope forever. I know that you died and that you rose again three days later for my eternal life. I don't even understand that, but I believe it. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and anoint me with your Holy Spirit so I could follow you all the days of your life. We love you, Lord.